Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for joining us for Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Thank you all for joining us. We, of course, you can always subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts. Always recommending Apple Podcasts and Spotify because you can rate and review the show. Please give the show five stars. Make sure to leave a comment in there. And if you want to recommend anybody that should be on the program, then by all means, go ahead and reach out to me, Brasco, B-R-A-S-C-O at CannabisRadio.com. Brasco, B-R-A-S-C-O at CannabisRio.com. And, and uh, honestly, if you happen to go through LinkedIn, that's kind of how the connection I got uh, connected to my next guest. So my next guest, uh, he has years of experience in cannabis investing, including financing, fund management, and consulting for early stage cannabis businesses. And he advises entrepreneurs looking to gain in-depth expertise on raising capital on or securing financing, working with investors, and the legal ins and outs of starting cannabis business. With me right now is the CCO of Sweet Leaf Madison Capital, Andrew K. here on Blunt Business. Thanks for being on. Hey, thank you for having me, Roscoe. Appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. The thing is, investment right now, when I've looked at where cannabis radio has been starting in 2015 and looking where the market has been and just looking at what investors have had for opportunities and the companies and the people they have decided to go ahead and put their money in to earn the keep. And knowing we've had some issues where, you know, you've had some good quality people that have been brought in, they're making return on investment and others, the money's been squandered. And it's still one of those things where while legalization we're waiting on, and we know that Silicon Valley and other investors out in that way, they're, I've always keep talking about Andrew, Andrew, Andrew D'Angelo, or Steve D'Angelo, excuse me, on our Green Peak program. Specifically saying, he knows there's people in Silicon Valley that want to go ahead and invest in the space. The money is there, but it's just a matter of when will legalization be here or any kind of framework from policymakers in D.C. so we can see something going forward. But we have nothing as of yet, but you have been writing extensively on this. Uh, well, I know that we put a lot of things where you have written for MG Biz Daily, and you've also written for Cannabis Business Executive. So a lot of articles out there, but there's a couple I want to go ahead and point out to you today to really put across 
what you have. In a moment, I'm going to ask you about a comprehensive article you talked about, custom cannabis financing in an off-the-rack world. But first, let's go to an, uh, an op-ed piece that you put in MG Biz Daily just recently because you give a full overview of where we are in terms of what framework is out there, what we're waiting on in terms of relief so that the possibilities for companies to go ahead and be able to have financial relief and maybe some more room opening so that investments will be much more fluid and much more common and much more uh, consistent. So you mentioned now in MJ Biz Daily, you talk about how the typical alphabet soup of legislation from both sides of the aisle, quote, in the U.S. Senate and House Representatives, the SAFE Act, the MORE Act, the CEOA, have not been able to pass despite multiple attempts. And mid recent midterm elections, the lean duck session I'll mention too, nothing's come on. And the question you pose is, what's a hardworking, compliant cannabis company to do to get the capital needs to establish, cement, and expand business? Raising additional equity is the obvious answer, but it's still increasingly difficult. And right off the bat, you talked about rights, real estate investment trusts, and, you know, local credit unions or savings and loan associations, the ones that are available that will work with cannabis businesses now. Uh, the other one that you have is, uh, you mentioned borrowing from the non-bank, especially finance companies. So there's a lot of places to go, but still all the entanglements and red tape are in place. So for those that are looking to find investors, and for the investors who are looking, trying to go ahead and get themselves through the red tape to be able, be available to said companies, give me the landscape right now. The landscape is difficult largely because of legislative restrictions. There is no other business in the United States in which every state, indeed every city and every jurisdiction essentially is a sovereign nation. As a result, uh, working in cannabis and cannabis finance is hard. It reminds me of what JFK said in 1962 when uh, the Russians put someone in space and he stated, we are going to go to the moon and do other things, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Right. Cannabis finance is hard. Not only do we have federal regulations regarding restrictions on banking, but we also have a really restrictive tax code that penalizes the cannabis industry, we call it 280E, right? And as a result, even top line, quote, profitable cannabis industries are paying up to 70% of their revenue in taxes. So there, it is a very difficult place to finance. Um, equity, which is typically often Canadian listed, has shown a 70 plus decline in the last year. Debt finance is restricted to uh, credit unions, as you mentioned, um, trust banks, and specialty finance companies. So the answer is, what is a emerging capital, uh, like emerging cannabis company to do? The answer is, you're going to have to fund somehow. And um, it's not easy, but it's doable. There is money available for it, but you've got to be... Um, You've got to be a good player. You don't even have to necessarily be profitable often if you have robust assets to borrow against. Right. I go back and I know we've had a number of interviews with various tax and accountant professionals, account professionals about Section 288. And, and if you go back to September 2021 when I talked to Shannon Scott with uh, eTax Breaks, 
we talked about that uh, further guidance in, in for the IRS that they've been largely pushed off the agency's radar, prioritizing pandemic issues and other projects for the last year. And I guess maybe that hasn't changed too much, but uh, that state legal cannabis businesses subject to Section 280E can reduce the amount of revenues they can get hit by, with taxes by the cost of their inventories or costs of goods sold. But has there been any budging for the IRS? Has there been any oversight or any kind of any kind of transparency that's been offered to kind of alleviate the issues that 280E creates? You know, the answer is not overtly. You know, we never know what government is doing covertly. Um, there are challenges to it. Uh, there are companies that have um, used the federal government essentially as a bank by not paying their 280 taxes and accumulating tax liability. But many of them are fighting the government, claiming that uh, despite the fact that cannabis is a Schedule One drug, that the application of 280E, uh, which does not allow deduction of selling general and administrative expenses, is really discriminatory against a business that had state authorization. And remember, states also tax, but some states are beginning to recognize their cannabis businesses. There's 400,000 Americans working in cannabis. It, you know, it's 68% of Americans favor it. It's a $25 billion a year business. And so the, you know, there is a great groundswell, certainly from the state side and the state and operators within the states to eliminate it or to um, modify it so that they're on evil, even footings with the competitors in other industries. Uh, until that happens, cannabis will always be a difficult, you know, at the very beginning of cannabis, everyone wanted to do well by doing good. And people still go into it for a lot of reasons. And um, certainly where I sit in New York City, um, there uh, the rollout of uh, legalized cannabis has been really atrocious, uh, causing, um, and, and so, you know, there's going to have to be a lot of legislative approach to it. Taxation, banking, credit cards, all the things that a normal chocolate business would have, cannabis has to fight against. And you mentioned that in the article you closed out saying that, you know, if you're expecting federal banking reform, don't, don't bank on it. And I agree with you. I wouldn't hold my breath. I've already said on this program, Safe Banking Act might be an option this year, maybe next year, but federal legalization, anything like that, three to five years. I wouldn't put anything right now saying that. And one of the things you make, and I want to point this out because this is very specific, is you mentioned if you're waiting for the federal government to legalize uh, cannabis and provide access to more lending sources, consider the cost of not borrowing to grow your cannabis businesses. That's it, because right now, you know, in the current market, we're as we were recording this, February 2023, you know, we're in inflation. We are more or less a recession. They don't want to call it that, but it is. Like right now, if I want to go ahead and grow any money right now in the stock market, I can't. Like right now, I did, I mean, the only thing I could do was I was able to take some money I had to set aside in a money market account, move it over at 4.2% and a high-yield CD for two years. I could do that. But other than that, there's not much else you could do with financing right now anyway, especially for cannabis business. So... I want to talk about after the break what you can do. So we're going to go into what you mentioned about custom cannabis financing and the off-the-rack world. So let's go ahead and look at the options that are available right now and what companies should be cognizant of. If they're looking to go ahead and find more money, more equity, a way to go ahead and continue to and grow and continue to foster in this tough economic climate. So I'm here with the CCO of Sweet Leaf Mattis Capital, 
Andrew K here on Blunt Business and really great start to this, uh, this conversation. There's a lot to be said about this. And we could go on with a, a Twitty, you know, so many other things about it. But in the meantime, I want to direct people to the website. You can take a look at that when we go to break. It's sweetleafmadison.com, sweetleafmadison.com. We'll be back with Andrew and more questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive. And that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm here with the Chief Commercial Officer of Sweet Leaf Madison Capital, Andrew K. here on Blunt Business. And we're going to get into a comprehensive article that you wrote in Cannabis Business Executive. Go look for the title, Custom Cannabis Financing in an Off-the-Rack World. So there's a lot that you said here. I'm going to take a couple of passages from here real quick, Andrew, and get your take on it. So number one, uh, more private lenders are entering the space, bringing with them innovative approaches to working with cannabis businesses. They're not afraid to maneuver around historic industry barriers to financing, opening up to cannabis companies lending opportunities that have been available for other industries for decades. So cannabis businesses can, with assets can now use them as a collateral for a loan. If the business already owns property or a building, then, for example, they have a substantial stockpile of equipment. Those assets can be utilized to take out a loan against the value of these assets. And they can also be classified as real estate loans or equipment loans. So with that said, I mean, we talked about, you know, with the difficulty of trying to borrow anyway, what can you borrow? Well, I think we need to start with how people think about finance. You know, if you ask the average person about what is cannabis finance, people are going to look at the exchanges. They're going to look at equity because equity is usually in the forefront of people's minds. Um, Equity can be public equity. And we know that the public equity markets have really punished cannabis stocks down 70 plus percent over the last year. 
I'll bring that up to you at the end of this. I want to bring that up specifically, but uh, in terms of what we have, you know, yeah, the numbers are just are disturbing. It's not good. But then I, that's one of the things I should make mention of. That is one of those things that's going to be that's going to make some investors hesitant. Yeah, and you know, we need to. You know, before I go, we do need to um, discuss COVID. I mean, we're in a dislocated state. It is the first global pandemic to hit. I mean, true global, probably in you know in recorded history. Um, and it had dislocation effects in all industries. Now, for cannabis, there was an initial pop because people were sitting home. They were, you know, where they were watching, they were working remotely, they were watching Netflix, they were eating, but not 10 pounds, and they were smoking a lot of weed. Yeah. And so it, so people thought COVID, oh, was good for cannabis. And so there was some optimism. Well, as COVID has receded, though not ended, reality set in. And the realities are, that the cannabis companies need to expand not only within the states they're in, but in the nude states, in New York, in Connecticut, in New Jersey, in in Missouri, in Florida. And that was that expansion requires money. So there's another underside or a, a side that people don't think about, and that's debt. The debt markets are the largest markets in the world. The largest, single largest market in the world is the federal debt. The second largest is real estate debt. And so debt is actually a viable and sometimes vibrant alternative to equity. Uh, within the cannabis space, uh, if you're over, you know, if you're one of the top 20 multi-state operators, you have real estate, you can go to the real estate investment trusts. If you're a small operator, you need a million dollars or less, you could sometimes borrow through a private placement or regulation D offering and do a million bucks. The big problem is between a million and 20 million. Where do you get that? And the answer is there's groups out there, including Sweetleaf Madison Capital and others, friendly competitors, who will provide what I'll call traditional style debt um, to a non-traditional business. But it's um, it can be expensive, or as what I like to say, expensive compared to what? You have to remember that even... You know, uh, uh, triple B, single A borrowers are paying 12%, 13%. You have to remember that right now, the SOFA curve, which is a moving curve, it's the most interesting thing to look at in finance now, we're at about a 5%. So people usually price larger deals at SOFA plus X, all right? Now we're at 5.12% as we sit here. One year from now, the SOFA curve is expected to be 2.95%. So we're going to have some rate relief in cannabis as the um, as we see the, the the curves go down as the Fed eases off. The last rate increase, by the way, was fifty basis points rather than seventy five. Right. I think the Feds are fighting two thousand and eight. This is a COVID recession. It is a supply side and disrupted. So they probably hit the brakes and heated on the negative side too much. And so now they're easing off to allow the economy to grow. And look at employment, right? Employment as the lowest unemployment, what, 3.4%, I believe it is in-, in, in Oh, but, but Andrew, what about the jobs report that said they got 500,000 jobs? Come on now. <laughs> you know, they said that, really, come on, service industry. How many of those are part-time? I love how they kind of put this all together. Look, we, and it's subject to adjustment. You know, they adjust oh, yeah, two, yeah. two years after the report. <clears throat> but, but, but so you go out and you need to borrow. What are you going to borrow? Well, there's two types of fundamental borrowing. There's asset-based or asset-backed borrowing, 
and then the cash flow bar. Asset base or asset back, which is what Sweetly Madison focuses on, is we look to a company's assets. The assets can be real estate, which is always the highest quality asset. We do a lot of equipment loans against the value of the equipment. Oh, and well, we do uh, senior secured loans, which are really a catch-all. They're basically you you have as your security in the event of default, really all the assets of the company and the proceeds are used for acquiring equipment, expanding jurisdictions, hiring labor. So there are alternatives. And then there's a whole other group that does what we'll call cash flow lending. Okay, can I have a measure? Why is that? Is it is it pretty prominent to see companies that are trying to work with companies that say they're cash flow positive because they know how to move some numbers around in their accounting work? I don't. I, I that is skeptical. I mean, I mean, why would some companies? Because I mean, there's a one thing that a company would go and decide to go ahead and say, okay, you know what, we want to invest with somebody because we there's an upside, but there's so much risk. Now, there's an increased risk, which you, you know, if you want to go ahead and really try to calculate. Without a forensic accountant coming in to look at the books, could you trust the company that you want to invest in that says it's based on cash flow and not collateral? Well, we don't do it. I know you don't, and that's why I, you but, pointed out. Okay. I want to make sure that was clear as well. No, the, but I'm making the point of, yes. for those that would say, why not work with Sweetleaf? You're going to work with a company that wants to work with somebody that might present you a cash flow positive company. I wouldn't trust it. Well, you know, the way that those loans work is typically they're not, they're looking at the top line sales. There's a lot mm. of cannabis companies there. That, let's say yeah, retailers are doing 20 million. Let's say the company's doing 100 million. And they typically have very short terms. Essentially, they're a month to month. It's like uh, renting a month to month apartment. You can move out whenever you want as long as you pay your rent. Mm. Now, the rates can be between 1.5% to 3% a month if you run the calculation. It's quite high, um, but you know sometimes it's better to pay rates and get that pre-roll machine or get that distillation or extraction <laughs> machine and build your business than it is to wait. But now so, there's a question because of the market one right now. Look, we're seeing what the stock market's doing. Those companies that were based on high valuation, your Ubers, your Teslas, and look what happened to those companies now. They're all hurting. It's like the economic market should also determine what your investment is. And cash flow really only works when the when the market's built as a bull market. Not really. I don't tell you why. Okay. I said, this is why. No, this is why. Is that when you're looking at a cash flow loan, you're looking at two things. Really. You're looking at the top line. Let's say they're doing 100 million. And you're looking at the bottom. Let's say they're bringing in 10, 10 million, right? You typically look to see what other debt they have, right? If there's a lot of debt on the, quote, we call it the cap stack, and that debt is ahead of you, then you get wary because you worry about inability to pay. However, if it's a low leverage company, notwithstanding all the challenges, you have a there is a fair probability if you do your underwriting carefully that that twelve month loan, looking at their numbers, they will pay you back. Now, sometimes you're taking collateral um, for like uh, for example, purchase orders. You know, there's some I'll call light collateral, um, mm. not tangible c collateral, but mostly it is a calculation that they'll pay you out before they run out of cash, and it requires uh, some sharp pencils and some and some a little guts, 
but it's financeable. Listen, there's also what they call merchant cash advances, which retailers use, where basically the lender is pulling the money out of your cash register before you are. And so the very similar kinds of loans, and those can be quite robust. They're high interest rate loans, but the borrower is first in line. They're essentially locking the cash. They get paid and then the money sweeps to you. So there are ways to structure debt, even in the most adverse conditions. Um, and it just takes a lot of hard work. Um, it takes good management. It takes a good business plan. It takes um, a, a, an organized entity that provides you with timely and accurate and relevant information. And so there's an element of trust, you know, whether you bet the horse or bet the rider, the answer is usually to win a race, you have to bet both. My thing is, I'll still go by, and I appreciate the the clarity on here. And listen, I, we're not, I'm not here to go and tell anyone that not, don't, not do any investments they don't want to do. Listen, you know, whatever investments you decide to do, remember they're going to involve risk or loss. We're just discussing. We're not advising. We're not consulting. We're not recommending. But I will say that, Sweetleaf Madison, you know, you make the point that you only work on asset-based uh, financing. That's what it is. If you want to go and look, you know, go down that other route. Hey, you know, be our guest. You know, <laughs> feel free. I just don't look at it. I feel like good about it. Now, the other part of the financing part, this kind of segues in pretty well. Revenue link financing. So, <clears throat> a lot of credit that will be linked to accounts for fee, accounts receivable, generally used for things like inventory and new hires, and the rates will tend to be higher than an asset bank back loan because if the business defaults, no assets to seize. The ability to engage a line of credit month to month business operations is a tool that was non existent in the early days of the cannabis industry. Now these line of credit opportunities are becoming increasingly available. So again, there's still the risk the risk that's out there that people are willing to take. That is true, no doubt about that. Now let me since we kind of discussed that, let's turn to the other, which is the one that that uh, that I'm more involved in, which is asset based. You know, lending is typically asset based. When you when you borrow against a car, when you get a mortgage, right. when you do most of your non credit card limit, credit card is cash flow based. Yeah. If you do non credit card borrowing, it's usually backed by an asset. We focus on real estate. We do a lot of equipment, and then we'll do. We're even working towards using the licenses as collateral. And in that case, what we've done is we've made a calculation that we are uh, that should there be a default and there will always be defaults uh that we're able to recover um our our uh loan and usually get out whole remember also cannabis lending tends to be short even real estate that can go you know you get a 30-year mortgage on your house or 15 year most real estate in cannabis is five years or three years most equipment loans are 12 18 maybe 24 months. So what we do is we keep the loan short because we have greater visibility. We have assets. We have, in some cases, we are very big in vendor agreements where we have vendor support to some degree for the for the equipment. And so what we do is we do much more traditional underwriting with traditional backed by assets. And we have a, what I'll call plan B. You have to be careful with cannabis. My view is you cannot be what they call loan to own shop. In real estate, a lot of people will do really risky loans on the assumption that if they take the property back, then they'll be able to remarket it you know, and, and get out that way. We don't want to do that. We want to get paid. We want good borrowers with good loans with good paybacks. 
not because we're not confident of our asset quality, but because cannabis is a complex and difficult business. And the less litigation you get into and the less disputes you have and the more that everybody is, is, is compliant with their obligations, the more the industry can thrive and grow and the more that capital will become available to the industry. If people will learn from 2008 and just remember, if you're, just watch the movie The Big Short. Okay, all those banks that gave out subprime mortgages, people that were in valuations, they were over there, they were underwater. Okay, sure, they could pay the first year's mortgage on something that was a limited mortgage, and then all of a sudden, they, the mortgage rate just skyrockets. And, oh, these people can't, oh, we're going to flip the houses. Remember that? The flip the house thing. We're going to flip the house within a year, and we'll, we won't be stuck with that extra high fixed mortgage rate. Ah, see, that's the whole point. You can't, you know what? This is where it's it's that risk that's that's involved. It's like I feel like that's where it's the same kind of scenario. Am I wrong? No, I think you're wrong. I'll tell you why. 2008 was it was essentially a a I'll call it you know a wild party credit world. People were were borrowing against their houses at million and a half bucks with no documents. There was no underwriting, and so what was happening is the lenders were making this assumption that real estate prices would go up and up and up and up. And so they were less worried about it because the million and a half dollar house is going to be a $2 million house in six months. So what happened was the the rigor of lending went away on this kind of global high of, wow, assets are going up. That's not cannabis lending. That's not even close to cannabis lending. In fact, cannabis lending, I would consider to be virtually the opposite. It's the assumption that things are going to go wrong and that there's going to be difficult, and that state license is going to take longer to get. That you know that everything in cannabis costs twice as much and takes twice as long as any other industry. And so, cannabis lending is actually the opposite. Of 2008, we are more rigorous. Where we are, we are, um, we document well. You know, it 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 would, it's it, it gets underwritten by professional underwriters. We have an investment committee that goes over it. We change the deal if we feel there's issues. We often have personal guarantees. And so I would say in the cannabis industry, that's not the case. And again, 2023, 2020, 2023, what's happened has been really demented by COVID. And so it's a very different environment than 2008, where basically everyone's hog wild on asset value inflation. We're going to come back uh, after a short commercial break. Still got a lot left to go and cover. We got to go and cover some ground. We're, we're going to run out of time, but we don't uh, just had a lot to cover. Here with the Chief Commercial Officer of Sweet Leaf Madison Capital, Andrew K. here on Bump Business. What Web, website is again, sweetleafmadison.com. Go back to break. A little more on the uh, possible financing options out there for cannabis businesses. And then we'll also talk about the stock market and where the investors are looking at the bigger picture saying, oh, all these cannabis companies, their stocks are not doing well. Well, let's see what they're thinking about and what the mainstream uh, financial publications are saying out there about it. We'll be back with Andrew and more questions after this. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. We're back with final questions with Andrew Kay, CCO of Sweet Leaf Madison Capital. Now, I want to just glom over one thing real quick. You have senior secured term loans. We don't have to go and take too much time on that. Uh, made for businesses to for a range of operating purposes, secured by the assets of the company. And with loans being secured by an asset, the rates are typically lower than secured loans or any type of revenue-linked financing. Then you also mentioned 
what investors are looking for in cannabis businesses. And these are some of the parameters that you should already have to even qualify with one of these investors to make sure your cannabis business is all set to go to take on extra equity. Number one should be well-run, profitable, and, 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 and as unproblematic. Details of who's holding roles in management and the overall staff. And so avoid sloppy, sloppy bookkeeping and historical financials that are clean and tight. So I want to, before we go into anything, I want to ask about factors that are crucial to consider other ones. But one of the things when it comes to holding roles in management, just a thought, there are a number of good executive talent management companies that are very good in the business of making sure that people either from Fortune 500 companies, people with good credentials are coming into these spaces to really put a good presence and also bring good expertise into the space. Uh, one of those is Protus Global, who is a sponsor of our plant profits program. You hear that every week here on the network. Just out of curiosity, would it be smart for companies, if they want to make sure their management and overall staff is in hand, should they have one of these executive talent management companies under retainer? You know, honest, talent is is key to, to success. You know, um, um, and and having the right people in the right places doing the right things is the difference between success and failure, particularly when you're in such a challenging environment, not just a challenging economic environment, but a challenging legislative environment, a new business. Remember, we have to remember the cannabis is, is it, it, uh, 2012. It's an 11-year-old, it's, it's an adolescent business. You need talent. And the talent is going to come in in from cannabis and it's going to come from outside cannabis. So I, I'm always looking for people who have the right stuff, if you will, and I think that hiring is probably uh, the greatest indice of success uh, than virtually anything else because there's always competitors. And so everyone is in so of a playing field within their, as I call them, sovereign nations. And then usually the most, uh, the most experienced, best, and hardest working, never forget working art, are usually those that succeed. I also, you know, I wanted to talk about your, your idea of equity. I just want to want to point out that equity investors are optimists. Lenders are pessimists. Ah. The, equ the equity investors are looking for principally their stock price to go up. I entered cannabis for a number of reasons, but in 2016, I was in a conference at the NYU Law School, where I went to law school, and sitting around me were the top investment banks and the top law firms. And what was the subject? Cannabis. At that point, my, my eyes went wide and I realized cannabis is going mainstream. It's going to go by fits and starts. It's going to be a hard, but look who's in this room. Is in this room are the, uh, there are the most, you know, the highest power, if you will, non-cannabis, uh, financial, legal minds sitting here talking about weed. And so um, when you're looking at the equity markets, um, it's a, it's a, in some ways, it's harder. It's very hard for individuals to participate in debt, by the way. Debt tends to be institutional uh, because of the, the size of it, whereas equity, you can go out and buy an ETF, or you can go buy a stock for six bucks or six cents. And so, you know, you can get in the, the barriers to entry are lower. And picking the winners in, in equity it is difficult, even in more established businesses. The difficulty for cannabis in equity is that, um, first of all, taxation. I mean, I mean, you can't really, it's not apples to apples. It's not even weed to marigolds. You know, the, it's difficult for a cannabis company, unless they're restating, to show their actual market strength. I like to see, honestly, 
is a cannabis company maintaining market share or building market share. Because remember, cannabis is built on a commodity, which is cannabis. Why do you think you call it weed? Even though there's great weed and there's super great weed, it's not that hard to grow fundamentally. It gets processed. You know, sake is just water and rice, but so there's ways to add value to it. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult calculus when you're looking at cannabis equity. And my view is, what's their market share? Are they Because the prices of cannabis will go up and the prices of cannabis will go down. Equity players have been, have been hurt and hurt badly, which makes people withdraw from the market. And I would assume, and I'm not an equity analyst, but I would assume there are, are, are buys out there that are probably pretty uh, uh, fundamentally strong because low waters lower all boats. And now we're at like dry land. Yeah. Let's talk about the stock market. Let's talk about where, you know, if you were watching the financial you know, channels and all that, and they're reading all the publications, they're going to see where, much like all the other parts of the market, whether it's the NASDAQ or S&P 500, that cannabis is not doing much in terms of being helpful either. Motley Fool recently wrote that you make the mention of that specific stat that down more than 70% in the last 12 months, the industry tracking advisor shares pure U.S. cannabis ETF is an undeniable sign that cannabis stocks are enormously struggling. So you have companies like Tilray Brands, True Leaf, Cannabis, Cresco Labs, shrinking quarterly earnings compared to a year ago and struggles with becoming a really profitable or as pronounced as ever. And they went on the right. The cannabis industry is following the same trajectory that the can Canadian industry did over the last couple of years, where all those companies we mentioned are relentlessly expanding most elements of their operations to chow down on the freshly legal market for cannabis, sending revenues soaring, and then cultivation eventually and manufacturing output scaled up to the point of exceeding demand, at which point inattentive investors got a nasty shock when losses balloon thanks to excessive overhead costs. You know, these MSOs, you're going to go this route <clears throat> and they're going to hopefully, they were planning for legalization to come in or an opportunity to maybe export some of their yield out to other markets, other global markets, hopefully, but we're not there yet. And people need to consider that. What do you think about that three to five year plan of if you're going to put an investment in and you're one, one of these big companies, you're putting your money into the stocks of these companies. What do you say? You know, I tell you, Bronson, you raise a really good point. And the good point is that if you're a Tauray or you're a, you're a, you're a, a multi-state operator, remember, when you move into New York, you're starting de novo. You're starting all over again. What are the business? You know, you can manufacture an iPhone in China and port into the U.S. and then ship it to, to, to New York and sell it in Brooklyn. In cannabis, you got to have your cultivation, your distribution, your processing, your sales all within one state. So cannabis companies are always going to be hurt because their costs are always going to be higher until there is uh, deregulation or you know commerce clause where we can sell it on a national basis, and then California is gonna is gonna blow everyone away. So th so the stock price and the five year stock price, uh, yeah. Remember, if you look at look when how did long did it take Facebook to make money? Yeah, there's lots of industries that eat up a lot of capital early on with the assumption that you're going to build your base, you're going to build your revenue, and you're going to become profitable. I was a technology banker many, many, many years ago. Uh, remember, cannabis is growing at 4% cumulative aggregate growth per year, 4.6%. It is a growth industry. 
Right now, we're at 25 billion. In 2025, we're expected to be at $38 billion in sales. So these stocks are going to get hit because in cannabis investing on the equity side is a herd sport. And numbers are looking ugly. But once the states start rolling out, once we stabilize, once they build up in New York and Connecticut and Missouri and Florida and you know Michigan, wherever, once, they're, once that CapEx expense is expended, then they can focus on market share, branding, pricing. It's, it's embedded in the business. If you're an equity investor in cannabis, you got to have a long-term view and you have to stick with it. I don't pick stocks in cannabis because honestly, you know, I'm focused on the debt side of the business. I have enough, I've spent enough of my time worrying about cannabis pricing and cannabis stocks. But for those who do it, I think that in the next five years, I'll, there will be a stabilization because of those states that are legal, which will probably be by then nearly 50% on the medical market yeah. and probably 30 on the thing, will be stabilized. There'll be growth. And eventually we're going to have interstate commerce. And then the trouble is because then what good is your, what good is your Wisconsin growth? When you're indoor, using a lot of energy, using a lot of labor, when you can, and so that's going to be the next challenge to the cannabis equity and debt industries is, I'll call it obsolescence. <laughs> I want to ask one more thing before we wrap up. For investors to be cognizant of, are they cognizant from what you're seeing? If they're worried about if a if it's a multi-state operator or if it's a company, and they're saying, okay. Are you going to move to new markets? Are you going to continue to grow? Are you going to look at doing global markets? Are you looking to go ahead and put an offshoot in Canada? Anything like that? Or just a matter of if you're moving to new markets and you have to go ahead and use a different brand name and then just use the same formula for cultivation, the kind of cost that might come with that. Is there, oh, well, those things also being considered uh, from what you're seeing? Is that, is it that big of a filter? Yeah. Uh I think that that if I understand your your question, the answer is they are going to continue to to go into new markets because I think what we're going to see over the next several years, we've already seen it when you look at cookies and other brands, is that they are, although you can't have national cultivation, distribution, or sales, you can have national branding, and so brands will become more important because it's a way to leverage a a national market, and so I I think we'll we'll see that. I think also there are states that are vertical in which you have to be seed to sale and have limited licenses. And those markets obviously are more attractive to some degree than other states that have separate, maybe five or six licenses, cultivation, processing, distribution, retail, uh, consumption, right? And so, you know, it depends where you're playing. A lot of the big MSOs like the vertical markets because they can control their costs. Uh, cannabis will go from $600 a pound so three thousand dollars a pound. The thing is, is that is that if you own the retail, then you have a way at least to hedge some of your uh, pricing complexities at the retail stand. And so we're going to see the multi-states continue to go into limited license states. And over the five-year period, I think it's um, going to be, um, as they say in the Second World War, snafu, situation normal, all funnied up. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, and, you know, that's just get used to it. And it's cannabis just, you know, cannabis, as I say, it, it comes in hot. It's a, it's, a, it's a lightning rod 
for for everything good and everything bad in finance. Right. Well, now if you want to know, I'm gonna get the treacherous waters of financing. Let's go ahead and talk about Sweetleaf Madison again. Sweetleafmadison.com. And for those that go to the website to go ahead and check with you and your team, but real quickly, go ahead and tell them what they should be aware of and really just the the cadre of services you're providing. Sure. Sweetleaf Madison Capital it does whole enterprise solutions for small and medium-sized cannabis companies. We do seed to sale. We touch the plant, if you will. And we uh, will do uh, real estate loans, equipment loans, uh, and we will do senior secured loans, which would be backed by each of those together. Um, and we um, focus on markets across the U.S. There aren't many of us There's in this segment of the market. Um, and we are, I believe, are in many ways, um, we have the market to ourselves. Um, us and our friendly competitors, because the big REITs and the big investors focus on the big multi-state operators. So if for those companies looking for capital, looking for had some assets, looking to borrow between, say, 12 and three years, have a good business plan, give us a call because that's what we do. Fantastic. So again, I'm here with Andrew K, CEO of Sweetleaf Madison Capital. This was a great conversation. We got a lot covered and I want listeners to just understand in this education, just be aware because we know companies are out there and also entrepreneurs, they want to find their way to where they can get to the investors. But what you need to get is get all your ducks in a row and realize that if you can do whatever you need to do to make yourself asset-based for whatever loans or whatever kind of financing or investments you're going to try to get into, that the collateral meets what you're looking to ask, you know, the bid before the ask and all that. That's what it comes down to. thought this was a great conversation to have. Very important for this this very fluctuating environment of the economy that we're dealing with right now. But as long as sales are stagnant and we're seeing it from what it was last year in 2022, you know, companies are going to want to continue to grow. They need to be understanding and cognizant of what the market looks like right now. Andrew, thanks for being on and giving us some oversight and putting in a lot of great information for us. Thanks again. I appreciate And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. We'll talk to you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. 
With Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab an extra latte. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com goals24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.